Glad you guys are here. Um, we are continuing our summer-long series called The Way of the Kingdom, and uh, we're officially halfway through, which is insane. Uh, but has this series challenged anyone so far? Good. I hope so. That's the goal. I know I've been challenged. And uh, what we're diving into as a community is we are diving into Jesus' teaching called the Beatitudes, as you guys know. And uh, I want to read this quote, but this quote says that in the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us the beauty of a renewed world we fail to recognize or imagine so that we may continue to explore its depth, have our expectations disrupted, and live in light of his eternal kingdom. And so we see Jesus say these countercultural statements that blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the humble. And we see how countercultural Jesus' teaching is. And uh, I don't know if you start to realize that, but it really, it's, just, it's, it's completely opposite of the mindset of this world. This is why scripture says that you have to renew your mind and unlearn the patterns of this world. Because before Jesus, we've all been ingrained with a pattern of thinking because of sin. And Jesus comes, and I, I think we need to get a hold of this, that Jesus comes and he comes to bring salvation, but he doesn't just snap his fingers and you guys are perfect. He says, no, there's actually things that I need to walk you through to unlearn if you're going to actually walk in the way of my kingdom. And so the more of the kingdom that becomes established in us, the more the kingdom gets established around us. The more we embody Jesus' values, system as we see in the Beatitudes, as we embody humility in moments when it feels like we shouldn't, the kingdom gets expanded. The moment that we embody being poor in spirit and we, we embody that God's kingdom becomes uh, expanded and established around us. I love uh, that Jesus says that uh, the humble, blessed are the humble for they will inherit what? The whole earth. It's crazy. Blessed are the meek the humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And we know that God's kingdom is, is it lives in this duality of, of the now and the not yet. And, and the not yet, we know, scripture tells us that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus over the earth. But in the now, I love this invitation to inherit the earth. That the more that we expand God's kingdom, the more of the earth gets inherited for him. The more that we live out and embody and release God's kingdom, the more of the earth that we start to inherit. And this is what we are pressing into today. That if we want to be people who live in this kingdom, on this earth, it's going to require us to embody what Jesus tells us to embody. So today we're gonna start in Matthew 5, 7, which says this, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. And so today we're gonna to talk about blessed are the merciful. You guys ready? You guys ready to buckle up? All right. So mercy is this word that, you know, we've all heard in church, you know, we sang it today. Uh, but I wanna help us just kind of have a framework because I think for a lot of us, we, we confuse grace and mercy or we think it's the same thing or, you know, it's kind of the same thing. But I just wanna frame this for us. What grace is, grace means to give someone something that they don't deserve. Whereas mercy means to not give someone something that they do deserve, right? For example, grace says that even though we are unworthy, God gives us salvation, right? He freely gave us Jesus. That mercy says even though we are worthy of punishment, God gives us forgiveness. And so as you guys know, the scripture that says his mercies are new every day, what this is declaring and what we even saying this morning is that every day God's mercy is new. 
because he is constantly forgiving us. And when we understand the, the, the depth and the, and the importance of mercy, we see that, that God literally withheld the punishment that we deserve. And I know we don't like talking about that in church or it's, it's uncomfortable. But when we actually understand what Jesus had to do on the cross for God to be perfectly holy and just, right, a payment had to be paid for our sins. God couldn't just sweep it on the rug like, okay, I'll just let it happen and whatever happens, happens. That for God to be truly holy and just, the payment of our sin had to be paid and he took that on himself, that he did not give us the thing that we did deserve. Does that make sense? And so his mercies are new every day because he is constantly forgiving us, having fully withheld the judgment on the cross we deserve each and every day. And I think as the church, we've gotten grace decently figured out Right? We, we sing about grace, and, and it's a lot easier to digest, but we are still disconnected from his mercy. <laughs> right? How often do we thank God for his mercy? How often do we talk and, and release mercy to other people? Right? When's the last time someone said, man, like you really embodied mercy yesterday? Right? None of us probably have ever heard that <laughs> recently. That we, I think, have gone so disconnected from mercy, but the thing is that we cannot receive grace if we do not receive mercy. We cannot receive the thing that he has freely given us if we do not understand that he's withheld the thing that we deserve. So let's go to Titus 3 to 5. And it says this, beautifully put. It says, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So he saved us because of what? By his what? His mercy. That he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So we see here in Titus that we are saved because of mercy. Ephesians 2 says that God is rich in mercy. God is full of mercy. And I love that it says in Titus that we are not saved because of the right things we have done. Right? Underline that. That his mercy is not contingent on our actions. Someone needs to... Star that. We're going to get back to that later. But we have to see this. Mercy is not contingent on our actions. And so while we were still sinners, he chose forgiveness. He chose to take on our penalty. He chose compassion. He chose unconditional love. And so we see that mercy is the character of the Father, and Jesus is inviting us to embody his character. So when Jesus has blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. He's inviting us to embody his character. So let's jump to Matthew 18. And I wanna read this parable. So we understand God is merciful, that's his character. Jesus is inviting us to embody his character. Matthew 18, verse 23, and we're gonna go uh, all the way down to 35. But it says this, it says, therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Let's pause there. Whenever we see Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's very important to pay attention. Right? He's giving us a look behind the veil to see how his kingdom operates. The kingdom of heaven is like, okay? It's like a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. Verse 24, in the process, one of his debtors had brought him uh, who owned him millions of dollars. So he brought in one of his debtors who owed him millions of dollars. 
and he couldn't pay, so the master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Let's wait there. That the kingdom is like the person who shows mercy. The kingdom is like the person who shows mercy. And when we respond again in mercy, his kingdom expands, right? We owed God a debt we could never repay. And he has freely forgiven us that debt in Christ because of mercy. Let's go to verse 28. Jesus continues the parable and he says, but when the man left the king who just got his debt forgiven, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, okay? So he, he was forgiven a debt of millions of dollars, and now he has a servant who owed him a thousand dollars. So he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him, begged, begged for a little more time, be patient with me, I'll pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until his debt could be paid in full, and when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have shown mercy, say mercy, mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Happy Sunday. <laughs> We're gonna break this down. But how often do we lose sight of how high of a debt Jesus paid, but we require others to pay for their mistakes? Let's say that again. How often do we lose sight of how high of a debt Jesus paid for our forgiveness, but then we expect others to pay for their mistakes? In this story, it's a parable, but we see the truth in it. <laughs> this is what happens when you get disconnected from mercy. Like I said, the church, I feel like, has gotten disconnected from mercy. And we see here, Jesus doesn't take this thing lightly, right? The last few verses, pretty intense, that he's showing the severity of unforgiveness, of withheld mercy. And imagine... Right? If you were wronged by all of humanity and still you chose to sacrifice yourself from them and the very people you had been giving grace and mercy every day dismiss the sacrifice every time they withhold mercy from others. Whew. I'd be pretty frustrated. <laughs> right? God is slow to anger and, and, and I want us to see because he is going to the root of this thing, right? In verses 33 to 35, you see Jesus say, if you do this, if you hold on forgiveness, my father will do the same thing. And I want you to see this because when Jesus talks in parables, he's talking in parables. So a lot of us may read this and think, oh, if you don't show forgiveness and God's gonna torture you and you'll be burning in hell forever. <laughs> 
But we see that this is not what Jesus is saying here, right? He's talking in a parable for a reason, but he's speaking almost as a father speaking to his children and disciplining them in love and saying, hey, if you miss this, if you don't do this very thing that is so important that my blood and body literally purchase, then it's, it's not gonna be good. <laughs> that Jesus wants his disciples to be characterized by mercy. Because when we don't, we completely dismiss the cross. Let's jump to Luke 7, 47. Luke 7, 47. It says this, I tell you her sins, and there are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now this is the story of the woman who poured the alabaster jar at Jesus' feet, wiped her feet with her tears, wiped, you know, just this lavish expression of just love. And we see that in the story, the Pharisees are calling Jesus out. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you letting a sinful woman touch you? Do you not know what she has done? And he says this, that even though her sins are many, she has been forgiven. And because she's been forgiven of so much, she has shown so much. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And what's so interesting about this statement Okay, what's so interesting about this statement is that all of us have been forgiven with the same exact price. <laughs> and so what, th- this concept of the person who is forgiven little shows only little love, what Jesus is saying, because we've all been forgiven with, with the exact same price, the exact same price has been paid to purchase our forgiveness. What he's saying is that your awareness of how forgiven you actually are will reflect on how much mercy you will show others. Your awareness of how forgiven you actually are will reflect in the way that you love others and love God. It reflects in how we worship. It reflects in how we treat people. It reflects in how we treat ourselves. That those who show mercy will be blessed with receiving mercy because we give that what we have received, that the capacity that we have received mercy is the capacity that we have extended it. And I just want to pause there, but we all have to get this. When we sing about Jesus's death on the cross, right, Christ and Christ crucified, that that this scandal of grace, we sing this stuff and we say this stuff, but do we actually believe in the weight of his forgiveness? Do we, do we still feel like our, our sin is still stronger than his forgiveness? Do we, do we feel like our, our, our mistakes and, and our, our shame and, and our condemnation is worthy? Because the thing is that he withheld all that. So then why are you giving something to yourself that he withhold? Why are you giving yourself shame and condemnation and guilt when he withheld all that through his sacrifice? But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So can I bring some clarity in what blessed is the merciful means? I think, like I said, we hear that word, we're kind of disconnected. We don't really use it as much in our modern vernacular, right? You don't say, hey, my wife was so merciful to me yesterday, you know, when we got in an argument. Like, we don't use that in our modern vernacular. So I, I want to simplify this in, in modern lens. Can I do that this morning? In modern lens, you guys ready? Blessed is the one who is not easily offended. Blessed is the one who is not easily offended. 
that being offended is simply withheld mercy. That the word offended means uh, to be resentful or annoyed, typically as a result of a perceived insult. To be resentful or annoyed, typically as a result of a perceived insult. That offense, take note of this, offense is what happens to us, but being offended is what we choose to do with it. And we can't control offense. People are people. People are going to do things that rub you the wrong way or that you don't like or don't do things the way that you like doing things. People are people. That offense is what happens to us, but being offended is what we do with it. That Todd White, he says this quote. He says that don't let sin against you cause sin in you. Don't let someone else's lack of understanding of mercy (laughs) cause you to respond in your lack of understanding of mercy. Don't let sin in you cause, or don't let sin against you cause sin in you. Another quote, all the water in the world can't sink a ship unless you let the water on the inside. And I think the majority of the things we get offended by aren't even things that are sin against us. <laughs> it's our perceived, I love that, our perceived thoughts of what is sin against us. A lot of times our being offendedness is actually a lack of humility and misplaced security. And so mercy is also not giving what we think people deserve. That I think this person deserves my passive aggression. Mercy is saying, I'm not going to give what even I think they deserve. That I think that they deserve to be corrected and shamed and condemned for their mistakes. Mercy is withholding even what we think they deserve. That we think they deserve passive aggression. We think they deserve to be dishonored, to be canceled, to be debated until your idea of right is proven. But when we show mercy, we are withholding what we also think that person deserves. We need to get this. But uh, do we have any Ted Lasso fans in the room? You guys watch the show, Ted Lasso? No? All right, just me. Um, such a good show, all right? There's a lot of bad language, so don't watch around your kids. But such a good show, such a good storyline. Just to, to give you uh, a little rundown, right? The, the plot of the show is this Texan college football coach who gets transferred to coach a professional soccer team, doesn't know anything about soccer in the UK, right? He gets moved to the UK, doesn't know anything about soccer, he's super Texan, super funny show. And, uh, you know, he's like super optimistic about life and everything, right? Just believe in yourself, like that kind of guy. And you see his journey as a coach, coaching, you know, this this professional uh, uh, team in, in the UK. And he ends up being actually a really amazing coach, and uh, the team really needed, right, his, just, just who he was as a person. And in the plot of the show, there's this guy named Nate who's their water boy. And, uh, you know, Nate was like the water boy, the ball boy, who would clean all the rags for the team. And he was just always just this like recluse, kind of like timid guy in the background. But over time, Ted Lasso starts to notice, wait, this guy actually knows a lot about soccer. This guy knows his stuff. He knows strategy. And over time, he, he lifts up and empowers this guy who was just a water boy to actually be one of his assistant coaches, right? It's this beautiful character development. You see, you know, um, 
may develop as a person. He's getting more confidence. He's, he's growing. It's this beautiful, just, just character development. But what happens halfway through the series, this is a spoiler, sorry. But what happens halfway through this series is Ted Lasso starts realizing, right, all the trauma that he has in his life. And he's like having mental breakdowns and he's starting to go through counseling. And you see, no one really knows what's happening. And this is all happening internalized within him. And Nate starts feeling Ted Lasso getting distant from him. <laughs> he starts feeling like, wait, he's not empowering me. He's not affirming me anymore. He's not encouraging me as much. He's, he's not really, you know, being the friend that he was before. And what happens is, is Nate starts to get offended. <laughs> he starts to, to develop resentment towards Ted Lasso, and he has no idea what's actually going on in Ted. And over time in the show, we start seeing that Nate starts doing things behind his back just to spite him and just to, just to, to hurt him because he's hurt himself. And at the end of the series, we see this moment. They, they, they come into contact, and, and, and Ted Lasso realized like, just, just all the stuff he's been doing behind his back to hurt him, and he confronts him in a loving way, and he's like, what's going on? What happened between us? And just for like a minute straight, you see just Nate just rips him apart. <laughs> he just goes off and he just starts yelling at him and cursing at him. And you left me, you forgot about me, you abandoned me. And just starts going off, not even knowing what Ted Lasso has been through. And he's just ripping him a good one. And he just walks out. And what ends up happening is, you know, Ted Lasso didn't even get to say a word. Nate leaves and he joins the rival team and becomes their coach. And man, <laughs> offense will do that. When we have these things unchecked, right? Sin against us or even perceived sin against us. Don't let it cause sin in us. That offense comes in because we create hidden expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, we demand a distorted idea of justice. The offense comes in because we create hidden expectations on others. And when those expectations aren't met, when those, those expectations of how they're supposed to treat us and, and them doing things the right way and doing things how I want them to do or to respond to me and to text me as much as I expect them to text me, when we have these expectations and they aren't met, we've developed this distorted idea of justice. That when offense gets in your heart, we get on the offense. <laughs> or we break connection, we create size, it becomes me versus them. Right? In sports, when a player is on offense, the goal is to attack. <laughs> and we do the exact same thing. I don't know if you guys remembered above when it said that he saved us because, not because of the righteous things that we have done. That mercy is not contingent on our or others' actions. Mercy is not contingent on our or others' actions. This is a, a paraphrase of a quote by um, Piper, and he says this. He says, if we have no passion... For the glory of God, our mercy must be superficial, man-centered, self-improvement with no eternal significance. And if our passion for the glory of God is not connected to his mercy, then our so-called zeal is out of touch with God and hypocritical. 
that if our worship in church is loud and passionate and exciting, but in our heart, we're disconnected from his mercy and we're disconnected from showing others mercy, then our worship is completely out of touch with God and hypocritical. And if our mercy to other people is not connected to our love for God and our awareness of his love, then it's just superficial and it's not actually breathing life. So Colossians 3.13 says this, and I think it just beautifully ties everything that I've just said. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. <laughs> make room, give space for each other to mess up and to, to, to have faults. And then forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You just wrap it up right there. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. When offense takes root, it turns into unforgiveness. <laughs> when we allow offense to turn into what scripture calls a stronghold, then it turns into unforgiveness. When we see Jesus hanging on the cross with blood and water pouring out of his side, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Most radical statement. Jesus literally being tortured, blood is spilling out, water is spilling out, and he says, Father, forgive them. The very people that he literally died to say, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. I would propose that most of the time when people hurt us or offend us, they simply don't know what they're doing. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we give them a pass to walk over us, but that we don't allow sin against us to cause sin in us. That we realize that they may just not know how loved and forgiven they are, that they, they, they may not know the mercy that Jesus gave them. And you get to break that cycle. This is why we ended up here in the first place is because we kept withholding mercy. <laughs> withhold mercy leads to more withheld mercy, which leads to more withheld mercy. And unforgiveness leads to more unforgiveness, which leads to more unforgiveness. In church, we get to be the ones that break the cycle. But I've seen so often in my life and the lives around me that unforgiveness becomes the main blockage between people and intimacy with God. That if you feel like it's, it's hard for you to draw near to God or there, there's, there's intimacy with God that is lacking in your life, then this is a good place to start. See, is God, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Is there any mercy that I'm withholding? Because the thing is what happens in these moments when maybe bitterness has creeped in or a stronghold has been created or offense comes in, it isn't that God draws away from us, but when we are holding bitterness against someone, bitterness blocks our ability to see God's perspective in his presence. That we get disconnected. He's not pulling away, right? But when a stronghold builds, it blocks us from seeing 
And when we hold unforgiveness, pay attention to this, when we hold unforgiveness towards a person, we're withholding mercy. And what happens in our heart is we put them on trial and put ourselves in the seat of judge and we build charges against them of why we think they should be punished and we think we can do a better job than God. That in our heart, what happens, this is what happens when you're holding bitterness or unforgiveness, we literally in our heart are putting them on trial. And we're like, we have this charge against you. You should be punished for this. You should be shamed for this. You should be hated for this. And we create all of these charges and we put this person on trial in our heart. But who knows that we're not judge? We can't be. We can't be God. that we hold their sins against them when Jesus actually did the opposite towards you. But there's this quote you guys may have heard, but it says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. Guys, we have to break the cycle. We, we have to drop the charges that I know in your heart you feel like it's deserved, that, man, they deserve that. They, they deserve to, to be hated. They, they deserve to, 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 to be just, just canceled and just destroyed and God let your just wrath fall on them, right? And we think they deserve that. But what is mercy? Withholding what we think people deserve. You guys may have heard about this story um, but about seven years ago, uh, a man walked into Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and opened fire and murdered nine people during a Bible study. And if you guys know the story, it was done as an intentional act of racism. Really heartbreaking story. But what ended up happening went viral and just blew the world over but 48 hours after the shooting, the loved ones of the victims showed up to court. There was a bond court to, for, for the, the murderer. And a lot of the loved ones of the people who were murdered and killed showed up to the trial. And what was crazy, you can actually watch the seven-minute video of this on the internet. There's actually a documentary about it called Emmanuel. What's so crazy is that literally what happened was people after people just started forgiving him to his face, right? I, 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 one of this women said that, I'm never going to be able to hold this person again, but I want you to know that I forgive you. This other person looked at him and literally shared the gospel and said, if you give your life to Jesus, he will forgive you. And this story went viral around the world because the world was just stunned how could someone do this to a racist person who murdered their mothers and their aunts and their loved ones and can choose to forgive them? That the kingdom of heaven was expressed and displayed for the whole world in, whole world in this moment. And that we have to understand, guys, the way of Jesus is so radical. Like, it's so different. It's so different. And the moment we start to realize that and we, we start to embody it and we start to practice it and we start to live it out, we realize how different it actually looks from the world. This is why we are supposed to be set apart. Not so that we can have our Christian clubs and be in our Christian bubble, but because it looks different. It just does. 
If you're actually following Jesus, it's going to look different. We have to learn what the world says people deserve or don't deserve and simply just embody what he says. And I'm not saying that we bypass people's actions or we don't fight for justice, but our inability to forgive is a direct dismissal of the cross. It's as simple as that. Our inability to forgive is a direct dismissal of the cross. And what we do when we hold unforgiveness, which hear me, I understand, I know it seems like the best option, the only option, the just option, but you are simply blocking yourself from actually seeing what God sees. And what happens is you, you put yourself on this trial as judge, but you're actually <laughs> imprisoning yourself in the process. But James 2.3 says this, it says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That if you ever feel tempted to hold offense or unforgiveness or bitterness because you think that person deserves it, remember that mercy triumphs over judgment all the time. That mercy, compassion, and forgiveness wins all of the time. So now the worship team come up. I'm going to end in Matthew 5, 23-24. It says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus, man. Jesus also says in Matthew 9 that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That our outward acts of worship are empty if inwardly we're disconnected from his mercy towards us and others. 